Welcome to another episode of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. Thank you all for joining us, where we want to share the stories of individuals who have broken into the field, as well as sharing helpful advice for the next generation. Today, we have Daryl Jones, who will be speaking from a CISO leadership position about what we could do to attract, retain, and grow the next generation. So Daryl, before we jump in, uh, give us a little bit of background for yourself and uh, we can uh, get started. Certainly. Thank you very much, Chris. And thank you very much for having me here. I appreciate the invite. Uh, I am currently, I've, well, let's start at the beginning. I've worked in cybersecurity for 30 years. I did it in university at, on the mainframe level. Then I was hired by Deloitte for e-discovery and lit support, working mostly with the DOJ. And from there, I've held pretty much almost every cybersecurity job in the industry you can think of. Red team, blue team, auditor, you name it, right? I've been sitting in the CISO role now for the last 10 years or so. I'm currently the CISO of Tupperware. So protecting the ability to make a bunch of plastic bowls, which is really important to the world. Highly recommend Tupperware. And... uh and again, I'm here to chat about how people get into the industry, how we might be able to attract more talent from more diverse locations and generally pass on anything I might, you know, answer any questions or pass on any knowledge that I have. Right. I mean, as as we think about an industry like Tupperware and security there, I think it brings in brings in manufacturing and securing operational technology. Uh, give our viewers uh, a difference, how or the differentiation, how we would approach operational technology versus IT and why they might not be the same. Certainly. So looking at general IT or what you call historic IT, it's driven by corporate America. It backbone, I always start off with the backbone of corporate IT is mail, right? If and the business never thinks mail's a, a primary platform until it goes down, and then it's the end of the business, right? Uh, but then you've got your ERPs, your CMRs, et cetera, all the things that make a business go. That has been going on now for 40 years, very mature, SaaS platforms for most of it now, and a big migration to those SaaS platforms. You can think Workday, Salesforce, Oracle Fusion, SAP Online, et cetera. OT is a little different. So OT is all the technology used to in the manufacturing process. So as I stated, we make consumer products. We not only make plastic bowls, but we make kitchen utensils. We make we make a we have almost eight hundred lines pro items in our product line. But and so every one of those tool or every one of those devices have a set of technologies used to make it assembly line from scales to conveyor belts, et cetera, et cetera, which is not uncommon. It's very standard. But if you look at OT as a maturity model, it's very different from corporate America. You don't have SaaS platforms in OT as a rule. And in many cases, the way the management of OT works is, you know, I've seen people not in this firm, but in others, they have amber screen machines printing shipping labels because they invested in the, the labeling system in 1997 and it still works. So why change it? 
right? Because the models, because manufacturing's models are so thin, the margins are so thin that if I can still get away with using 25, 35 year old technology, I'm going to do it. Now, what does that translate into cyber risk today? Um, and I'm not speaking specifically about Tupperware or anybody else, but I'm speaking in the I'm speaking in the example. If I'm running an amber screen shipping label software, and that machine breaks, either hardware or software, who do I call? You don't, because there's nobody to call. Do you go to eBay and go buy a new amber screen platform? I hope it works. I think the only people that have them are museums. Right. What if you're running something that's running Win 7 here or something a little closer to home? You can't buy a new Win 7 license today. You can't even buy a Win 7 operating system and run it. So if you lose a corrupted operating system or lose hardware that corrupts the operating system of a Win 7 device, your only option is to go buy another Win 7 machine that's running. Again, you're back to eBay. And where's your disaster recovery program? So when I talk about it from an OT standpoint, and I don't want to make any generalizations, it's behind historically IT, number one, and a portion of it is going to be sometimes unsupported because these people, when I say these people, I'm talking about the manufacturing teams. They deployed the technology they needed to be successful. They support it. They run it. And they're manufacturing folks. They're not IT folks. So they don't have the same rigor. So it's got to be replaced every five years. It's got to be updated. It's got to be up to date, et cetera. So the cyber, so that's a lot of intro to cyber and OT is far different than cyber and IT. Cyber and IT is far more, I like to say it's far more interactive. It's constant. It's, you know, we're updating policies, procedures, we're doing assessments constantly, et cetera. A large portion of OT is isolation. You know what? This thing has to be put off into, I can't secure it. I'm not saying to be funny. If you're running something that's running on a DEC 64 from 1992, there's not any level of security tool today that can run on that or, or secure it. So your tactics become isolation, security through obscurity. And you have, and you're starting to see far more cyber professionals and organizations and services that are doing nothing but catering to OT security. When you think of the the business wanting more information on the availability or the production of systems, mm-hmm. um, how do you balance providing that information, but then not? exposing those ancient systems to the wider internet or to the internet at all. So that's where myself and my counterparts are using a data lake strategy. You're pulling the reports out of something. You're getting them. You're getting the data somewhere. Right. And I'm not going to, to use the example I used earlier, I'm not going to let a deck 64 connect to the internet. You know, (laughs) it's just not going to happen. So, We've got to come up with a, a middle layer data, a data strategy where we're able to get it out of the systems and get it into a format, into some kind of data blob that you can start or a lake, whatever term we want to call it. That way we can start pulling that data in any way, shape or form from any of the new modern systems. 
So that's the strategy. It's still an isolation strategy. It's like, we're going to pull a job. We're going to create a middle layer job that connects to the deck 64, grabs the latest numbers, brings it in, reformats it from whatever it came in, you know, call it an ASCII table and dumps it into a CSV file. And then it's able to be uploaded into the data lake so they could be used. That's what those strategies are looking like. That, that, that's a lot of data manipulation and a lot of a lot of data movement. But uh, let, let's step away for, for, for the data sure. for a second. Like, how do individuals that, say, are just coming out of college mm-hmm. um, enter into this world? Because oftentimes we see large uh, job descriptions with long requirements and master's degrees and everything like that when... Um, really dear glorified reporters uh, for their first couple of roles. That's, it's, you know, I always call it the, my example is the, the uh, job descriptions describe a Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> and then the job is Barney. <laughs> <laughs> so the two, you know, the two don't line up. Uh, my best advice, and I just did this for a couple of colleagues and Everybody I know, every CISO I know, director or whatever, they're clamoring for intern help. So I recommend, you know, anyone who wants to get in this business to start down the intern route, honestly, because you may do four interns, internships. And the reason why I say that is you may end up in a SOC. You may end up in a GRC plant. You may end up in an IOT program, Right. And you don't know any of that stuff when you start off. The other place that I also recommend, which you know it may seem counterintuitive, but it's actually one of the best places to go, is go down the consulting route. Every firm I know is looking, every consulting firm I know is looking for, let's be honest, cheap resources, right? And they're they're selling, I'll teach you a ta- I'll teach you a skill as long as you're able to stay under, you know. $25 an hour. And so that's a great way to start. But what I'm finding mostly, and so you, t- you your question was specifically out of college. I'm finding, I'm fielding yeah. probably 10 to one, not college kids, but I'm fielding 10 to one from other IT disciplines and compliance disciplines and risk disc- disciplines, and now even the privacy disciplines. Right? How do I get into cyber? And so I use a tool called, uh, I always lead them down a path of a platform run by a good friend of mine. His name is Ryan. It's called Cybrary IT. And Cybrary is one of the best self-paced cybersecurity learning platforms I, I can recommend to anybody. In fact, everybody on my staff, when I come in, when they come in, I buy them a six month subscription. And then I watch the usage. And if they don't use it, I take it away. Mm-hmm. But if they continue to use it for betterment and growth, I keep buying it. So within Cybrary, you have training tracks. You want to learn to be a GRC analyst? You want to be a SOC analyst? You want to be an architect? Here is your entire curriculum. And along the way, they'll say, once you finish these classes, you should be ready for this certification. So you can then start to do external certifications as you grow your mature and or mature your your career, it, all the way up to architect, all the way up to so they, even cybersecurity management. They have an entire management curriculum 
So you want to become a SOC manager? Here's a bunch of classes. Okay. Here's a, you know, they'll get you ready for a CISM, right? That's the kind of thing that, and that's, and it's self-paced. Everybody wants to go to a SAN course. Totally get it. SANS course costs $9,000. I can't afford that. And in many cases, I don't know how many times I've sent somebody to a SANS course or a CISS, CISSP boot camp, and I don't see any return on my investment yeah, as yeah. the person paying for it. But Cybrary, let's I say, I get to see the numbers. I get to see their pace. And you'll find out their interest. I always make this joke. It's not a joke, but it's a joke. I can't teach. I can teach cybersecurity to anybody as long as they are interested and they're driven. If you're not interested and you're not driven, I can spend millions of dollars training on cybersecurity. And you're never going to get. Yeah, absolutely. What do you um, before before we continue introducing my fabulous co-host and recruiter Renee Small um, joining us as well? But happy um, to be here. Go go ahead, Renee. You had a question? Yeah. Well, it wasn't really a good. I mean, it was a comment, but Daryl had already answered. I was going to ask about the folks who were um, transitioning, which you already talked to, um, getting into consulting. I 100%, I mean, I see it every day where if you can move into that role or, or something lateral within your company that you're already in, especially if they're in IT, they're likely touching some area of cybersecurity. So it was all those um, just, you know, doubling down on what Daryl said, because you're absolutely correct in terms of the, the, a lot of the folks that are trying to break in are coming from peripheral um, careers and it's not always the, the college grad. Um, in addition, I'm shocked that SANS is now $9,000. That's crazy. <laughs> no, that, I mean, wow. the, expensive, the expensive ones are like 20 Wow. Well, wow. They, they've grown to, to become a whole master's program um, yes. on the academic side. So I, I see that one as being potentially a better ROI for those going for a master's than those potentially going down the other route because they have more hands-on than most of your traditional colleges. But um, I wanted to ask you a, a question, Daryl. Instead of going down the intern route, mm -hmm. what's your view on potentially creating like a, a journey, a journeyman or a journey person program where you're learning on the job, you get that continuous education, like you mentioned, but it, it's not um, it, it's a progression where they're going to need those hours. You're going to need that education in order to be able to continue kind of like they do in nursing and electricians and, and other trades. So I get where you're going. It, this is, and I wish we, I mean, if you wanted to balance this argument, right. Or balance this conversation, I would think that the other side of this equation is the HR talent management side of the equation right <laughs> so here you go if i'm going to you know if i'm going to require continuous training the only way i know to do that is through cpes right How, did you go to a conference did you sit through a webinar etc cetera, etc cetera, and track all those provide evidence therein but the only way to make that stick and the only way to open up that opportunity is if it's managed by HR. It's part of your MBOs. It's part of your career track. It's part of your, what you know, what do we call that? It's the um, 
it's the uh, title requirements, right? I mean, they call it the career tree, right? You go from analyst one to analyst two, analyst two to analyst three, et cetera, et cetera. And every one of those have those numbers along the way. I get the model. Here's where I've had challenges with HR. We invest in somebody. Call them employee X. Don't know who they are. We've sent them to SANS. We've sent them to RSA. We've, you know, we've given, they've accumulated 85 CPEs in this new skill set. And company B over here offers them a promotion, $30,000 more, and they don't require the CPEs for the job. Guess what? I just lost them. And all the investment, everything goes with them. So that happens twice. Every one of my HR colleagues are like, you need to drop this. Stop it. We're spending X amount on, you know, it's not, you're recruiting talent. You're creating tech, you're creating capability for other companies. That has happened to me four times. That's why the balancing act of the two is if you need somebody with these skills, just go get them instead of trying to build them because we're invest we're spending more money building it and losing it than just buying it. Oh, well, I'm going to add you, in. I'll let Renee go. I think that um, unfortunately, that is those HR groups are um, being short sighted because I understand it is a, a level of work that goes into that and a, a level of investment, but you're going to lose the person anyway. They're either going to, they're likely going to find, I mean, none of these roles in within security are long-term roles. Like nobody's staying anywhere for five and 10 and how many ever years. It's very, very, very seldom. I won't say nobody because <laughs> I've seen a few. Um, however, if all the companies were doing this, then you would be building your talent pipeline. And then you would be able to, when they leave, they leave, you recruit somebody else, you know, and vice versa. Or it becomes, it raises the bar for everyone. So it's unfortunate and maybe maybe it's something all the way at the executive level and at the board level, which is what I think really drives this kind of stuff where, you know, at that level when it's just like, look, this is a, an absolute need. We will make this investment. We understand that we will not retain people um, and it's okay. But the investment that we make for what we need for the time then, you know, in the, the whole grand scheme of building talent, then they will continuously, you know, come back around. And you'll hear, hopefully, if you're in a position where this is a, you know, the person has gotten so many CPEs and they, they can tell a good story. Like, oh, this is a great place to work. Like, I went there and this is all the stuff that I did and this is how I gained all this knowledge. And so it, in the ecosystem, it kind of comes back around. So I get from an HR perspective, there's so many things, like even with the internships, I was helping a high school try to bring interns into corporations. And I'm in HR, I get it. <clears throat> in the HR, the, the part, one of the hardest pieces was the HR component because now you have to stand up all of these, you know, people for a short period of time. Like it's a lot of work, it's, it's work, it's, it's labor intensive. You have to stand up, um, high you're pretty much hiring a group of people and then paying them for the short period of time and then taking them and then offboarding them all and 
it becomes, it is a lot of work unless some, you have some executive sponsor that, that says, I want this done. So it is what it is. Um, so I, I just want to add that in. One other point is that the consulting companies do this knowing they hire on droves of people, train them up, do all this stuff with an understanding that there's a percentage and a pretty large significant percentage that will leave. And they have like a whole, um, uh, it's kind of like life cycle or whatever of a role where they know, and I don't know, Daryl, if you worked in any of these big four, big five, big four consultants. I started off as one. I started off yeah. as a <laughs> Right. So, you know, so they, you know, mm-hmm. they bring you in, there's a certain amount of people, you know, college grads, two years, whatever, when you get to that first level, forget what the level is. And then they know what percentage is going to fall off. They have a whole pyramid, like 50%, 60%. I stayed there eight years. I get it right out of college. I was there for eight years. Right. So, and you know how many people you came in with and how many people left? I came in with 300. And when I left, I think there were like eight of us left. And they, they, they probably likely, you know, gave you all thousands of dollars worth of training, all this stuff to get you ramped up, you know, in the very beginning and mm-hmm. so that ecosystem, and that's why companies love plucking people that work at Deloitte. It's like, oh, great. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, it comes back, <laughs> but it comes back around, you know? So that's my only point. But that um, model, what you just described, makes a ton of sense. But that's not corporate America. That's consulting. Yeah, that's consulting. That's well, consulting. So for a corporate America, I would give, rather than um, – giving unlimited CPE opportunities that you build in within your journey program, like if you're using Cyberary IT, where you're designing the education that your workforce needs, and you're able to budget and project that it's going to cost me $500 a year to get them access to, to this training program, and you're going to be learning these skills, and this is my minimum requirement that they need. And if we need additional training, then we can go there. But at least you project what you're needing for that progression. Um, and absolutely, everyone doesn't need to go to SANS. Um, but that, that that's something that you build in when you create your program. Like when I was um, at Avnad, we were starting up a new like a a managed security operation. And I designed an entire education program to ramp up folks that hadn't been in in IT or cloud from going, I don't know what Azure is, to being able to look at JSON scripts and find secrets and find where things are hidden in the JSON script by the end of that. Um, So that's something that you could create too. So to your end, so I brought in Cybrary. Obviously, I'm a big fan of Cybrary. I'm also, there's other tools like Eins and there's several other tools. Out there that, and, yeah. yeah, yeah. So the way I handle it is these are my requirements for an analyst level one. And, and then my next job description is analyst level two. And there are corresponding capabilities in my tool sets like Cybrary. You want to be an analyst two? Here's the job description. Here's the JD. And here's where you go to get qualified for it. I, like I said before, I can train anybody on cyber, but I can't train desire and I can't ta- train, I can't train, you know, interest. So those two, I, I, I like to present the opportunity and make sure that I have a good scripted 
plan and process. But again, I'm not going to, I'm the, if you're not going to drink the water, I'm even if I lead you there, it's not my problem. I'll go find somebody else who'll drink the water. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, we, we have a question from Nana. Um, I'm uh, in the cybersecurity field. They're needing diverse backgrounds. I'm from the finance and banking industry. Interest in cybersecurity. Got my master's in assurance, uh, information assurance in, in fall. Has a security plus. Um, Hands-on IDS and tools. Where do they begin with their transition into cyber? I mean, it just sounds really silly and small, but we've already said it. I mean, look up cybersecurity consulting firms in your neighborhood. They're they're everywhere. <laughs> I don't know what part of the country he's in. I'm in the East Coast, right? I'm in New York. If I typed in cybersecurity consulting firm, I'd probably get 500 hits in the tri-state area, and all of them have job openings. Every one of them. To like she said, they'll bring you in. They'll keep you training. They'll keep you in front of clients. You're going to learn all the soft skills. And then one day somebody's going to ask you to run their GRC program. <laughs> yeah. And I would I, add I, to I, that. Yeah. Uh, go, go ahead. I, I was going to say, because you're already in the finance and banking industry, focus right. yes. on big banks, focus on investment firms, and then show them how you can translate what you've done yes. to the additional skills in the role that you want. And, and start with the company you're in today. If you can okay. be a cyber person within your current organization that's the easiest transition is to move over if you're in finance and banking already and it's a large enough organization and they have those internal roles go talk to the CISOs go talk to the folks that are in security let them know what you're up to and what you're doing and that you're coming up you're about to graduate go and go to your company first and you could interview the people you know and when I say interview, like informal, I guess nowadays it's not, people are not really in the office like that. Before I would, I would say take somebody to lunch or coffee or whatever, but you can have informal Zooms and just ask about the roles, share your knowledge that you have interests, talk to the leaders, always, always, always do that first um, and see how you can volunteer to be like a liaison or something with your group and their group. So tons of opportunities within. Everyone tends to look outside first when a lot of the times there's a lot of opportunities and you can make a move within a little bit easier. Big miss on my part. She's 100% right. I'll take somebody who knows my madness over an outsider any day. <laughs> yes. well, you already have culture fit, right? You have culture, culture fit because they've been there for a while. Know the players. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. Um, Daryl, we're wrapping up close to the, the end of the hour. If you had to take a look back and talk to your younger self, what one piece of advice would you give to your younger self? Frankly, I spent, only because of what's changing in cyber today, I spent far too much time in the ones and zeros. Being down deep, 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 super duper tech which I still love. And I think that's part of the challenge of cybersecurity today is it's when I came up, it was 95% tech, 5% people skills. I mean, I didn't have to talk to anybody. I was the geek of the geek, right? Even the geeks were kind of weirded out by me, right? Um, and I stayed in that side, I think of the equation a bit too long because the industry changed 
roughly, I want to say around Target and Sony. So make that 2012, 2014, because now the we called it the country club effect, right? So I'm going back in time. Before all of the breaches, TJ Maxx, Home Depot, da, 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 all of them, they fired the CISO. Or they made up an imaginary scapegoat and fired them. When Home Depot and, well, sorry, when Target and, and Sony happened, remember, they fired the CEOs. They fired the audit committee. They fired board members. So suddenly a cybersecurity breach was affecting the country club. So your buddy at the country club just lost his job because some idiot in a closet that nobody knows their name wasn't doing their job, right? That's the way it's perceived. So they need to understand it. And they would bring people like me at the time before the board. I'm speaking, I might as well have been speaking, you know, Venetian. I'm speaking Martian to these people. They didn't understand it. So they started, we've got to get people who can understand this crazy person and talk to me in business lexicon. So if you go back to what the IT, what started in cyber about 2012, 2014, was they started bringing in risk people with MBAs. They started bringing in compliance people with, with audit backgrounds. That we, they would translate all this nonsense that was coming out of my mouth and my team's mouth and turn it into business risk. That's, that's, I mean, and if you look at what CISOs are today, I made a joke with a new hire today. I said, my job today is 40% teaching at an executive level, 40% selling at at an executive level and 20% doing my job. Right. So that's what, that's the CISO's role. If I would have known what I know now, then I would have started this transition out of tech probably five or seven years earlier and started learning more risk, more learning more business lexicon, learning more about the compliance management and risk management at an executive level. Does that make sense, Renee, at all? Did that resonate at all? Absolutely. For sure. There's definitely, I think a lot of folks, like they do tend to want to get down deep into the weeds. There's these big, huge bees around me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> making sure I don't get stung. Um, but you're absolutely right, Daryl. You're absolutely right. I can't wait to have you back on. Sorry, oh. say that again? She said she can't wait to have you back on. Oh, okay. Um, so we'll, we'll definitely have you back. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you all. Uh, Daryl's LinkedIn profile is in the details. Reach out to us if you have any additional questions. Uh, share us with your friends and family on LinkedIn, on podcasts, and give us reviews on any other platform that you see us. Thank you very much, all. Pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.